Live from the betting capital of the world. Vegas, baby, Vegas! It's Wager Talk with Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels. It's Tuesday here in Sin City. Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels breaking down the world of sports and sports betting for you for the next hour. This is Wager Talk on the Sports Grid TV Network. Welcome to our Zumo viewers on Channel 719. Welcome to those of you watching on the Sports Grid app on demand. This is your Sports Central for betters. Ralph and I are going to break it all down over the next hour at Cal Sports LV is Ralph Michaels. I'm at Teddy underscore covers. Let's get right into it. Monday night football. How do we call it? A dud? A low scoring TV dud? We've had a lot of those so far in the NFL to open the season. Browns and under cash in virtually a no drama game. And don't tell me it was because of Luke Falk and Trevor Simeon got hurt. That score wouldn't have been any different if Trevor Simeon was in the game before the full 60 minutes for the Jets. Because Cleveland controlled the line of scrimmage on the defensive side. The Jets could not block, and that led to all kinds of problems offensively in a game that they scored just a single field goal. And despite the fact that Baker Mayfield was not sharp and kept on taking shots downfield that weren't open, didn't matter. Browns and under get the money on Monday night. Well, Baker wasn't sharp. You're correct about that. It seems the first three quarters he really struggled. And I was impressed with the Jets' D-line. You looked, uh, uh, the, the pressing on the left side of that D-line against the right side of the Browns, uh, the Browns O-line, uh, you got a lot of pressure. Now, you have to remember the Jets' D.C. was Greg Williams, who was a little bit perturbed with the Browns, having had been their interim head coach and not even get interviewed for the job last year. So uh, I think he sent some unique blitzes Baker's way, but... Uh, we saw the Browns are a pretty good team. They just got to keep stop from shooting themselves in the foot with those penalties. Sure. And as we say over and over again, between week two and week one, you cannot overreact to a single week's performance. Remember that when we get to week three, obviously a lot of the games will be broken down. But the teams that have been feasting on patsies that have to step up in class, be aware of those matchups in particular. So we had an interesting scenario. We found out exactly how much the markets thought Sam Darnold was worth. They thought he was worth four points between Darnold and Trevor Trevor Simeon. Now Simeon appears to be out long term. So Darnold's got mono. Simeon didn't make it to halftime. And it's going to be Luke Falk moving forward. How much do you adjust Darnold to Simeon to Falk? In my opinion, a touchdown can't be much more than that. Falk was capable last night, of course. It was his first time he was ever active on a roster, let alone being in a football game, let alone this weekend where he's got to travel up to New England. Well, I think people will be surprised with my statement here. I don't think there's much of a drop-off from Simeon to Falk. Now, let me explain that. Early in the year, you know, Simeon, yes, Simeon had started NFL games on different teams. But you're talking about Simeon being his first year in the New York Jets, not knowing the New York Jets players, not knowing Adam Gase's system. Luke Falk was in Miami last year. He knows Adam Gase. He knows Adam Gase's language to call plays. He went 20 of 25 week number one. I think he'll be a 
a suitable adjustment, but because you have a first-year head coach and everyone learning the system, Simeon being new was a bigger drop-off than other quarterbacks who might have been in the second, third, or fourth year of knowing a coach's system. Falk does know that verbiage. That's an excellent point there. When you talk about the fact that that Falk was in Gase's system in Miami last year, and he says there's no one on the team that knows this offense better than I do. Uh, certainly a solid showing last night. Uh, again, I thought the market said four points from Darnold to Simeon. I thought that was short. That being said, I'm with you. Not a huge adjustment from Simeon down to Falk, but from the first string QB to the third string QB, I made an adjustment of almost a touchdown in my New York Jets power ratings. Let's do a little prop shop review. Uh, the running backs, Bell and Chubb, both stayed under in rushing yards last night. But OBJ and Anderson both went over receiving yards. Heck, OBJ did it on one play. Heck of a touchdown grab or catch and run uh, for uh, Beckham Jr. in his return to City Life Field, to Met Life Field. Well, I was enjoying a, a Miller Light last night watching the game. And of course, I told you guys, I bet. Beckham to score a touchdown. So uh, unfortunately, I spilled half my beer. I got so excited as he was scoring that touchdown. You know, you talk about Chubb being under. One thing you have to remember when you when you're going to bet a Chubb prop with the Browns, you know, he carried the ball 18 times. The Jets D line again to me did very well, but he also caught four passes for 36 yards. And moving on, I think you will see him get more receptions and more targets. So, you know, while he had 98 total yards, only 62 came via the rush. Yeah, and it's certainly worth noting that with the big lead in the fourth quarter, the Browns weren't hesitant to throw the football. It wasn't three yards and a cloud of dust on offense. Something to consider when we look at Cleveland moving forward in the games where they're bigger favorites when you talk about running back props. All right, let's talk about some of the trades and news. There's been a ton of news in the NFL over the last 24 hours. I want to start with this one because it made no sense to me. The Steelers trading away a first-rounder to Minka Fitzpatrick to Miami. Pittsburgh's 0-2. They've lost their quarterback. They're not going anywhere. Why are they trading first-rounders away, Ralph? Is uh, But then again, it is a friendly contract for a quarterback. Is it just a good deal for any team to make? Well, they lost their free safety, who's now out for the year. They just put him on the IR, so they needed someone back there. Uh, what's surprising to me is, reading the Pittsburgh paper this morning, it wasn't just the first. It was a first, a fifth, and the sixth. And prior to Roethlisberger getting hurt, you would think that's going to be a bottom 10 pick in the draft. With Roethlisberger's out, it could now clearly be a top 20 pick. So two bits of quarterback news. They're not bits. They're big stories. And we have to talk about them real quick. Let's start with this. Eli benched for Daniel Jones. And the betting markets went, oh, they were bored. They didn't move an inch. Eli and Daniel Jones power rated at the same level right now for the New York Giants. Cam Newton has re-injured his foot. We could be Kyle Allen to start in Arizona this weekend for the Panthers. Real quick, Eli and Cam Newton, what's your take? Uh, we, we knew Daniel Jones was going to start at some point. Uh, without Cam there, I, I think that's a six-point difference. But again, Cam wasn't Cam playing against Tampa Bay. So he, if he wasn't healthy, he shouldn't have been in there. 
Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Wait to talk. Eddie Covers and Ralph Michaels. We like to do a deep dive right here every Tuesday. We don't have time to do it on Monday. Monday show is too packed with NFL. But Tuesday, we have time to talk college football and we got time to talk about what really happened. This isn't about the final scores. This is about all the point spread shenanigans, the stuff that you might have missed last Saturday that hopefully will help you make some money this Saturday. And let's start with. A really tough beat if you had Texas San Antonio plus the points. They score the touchdown to cover the spread. All they got to do is kick the extra point, but the holder botches the hold, and it ends up being a missed two-point conversion. Army gets the money at Texas San Antonio. That, as bad a beat as you're going to find, when you get the TD you've been craving and you can't execute the extra point. Well, you know, it wasn't the final touchdown. At that point, UTSA was covering. Army comes down, punches in one more touchdown, makes the extra point, and gets the cover. Again, I understand anytime you're playing against Army as an away favorite, it's going to be a lower-scoring game and you're into it. But uh, UTSA struggled to move the ball against that Army defense. Yeah, UTSA is going to struggle to move the football against a lot of defenses. Army's defense has looked pretty good through the first couple of weeks of action. We saw what they did in the big house against the Wolverines. Oh, this was a sweat and a half at the end. Kentucky and Florida point spread and total shenanigans in the final minute. The Gators just trying to run out the clock. They need one first down to take a knee. Oh, they got the first down. And he kept on going instead of falling. And it was the stupid move to make because that actually gave Kentucky a lottery, you know, a lottery ticket uh, chance for their final drive because they got the ball down eight with time on the clock. If instead of scoring the touchdown, he'd have fallen down in play, the game would have been over. But the late TD for the Gators means if you bet them early, you got to push with Florida. and. Instead of unders cashing in a dead nuts under game, it ends up going over the total. Well, again, you have to remember anytime you use your quarter, you lose your quarterback, Felipe Franks. You know, I was impressed they still did what they did, putting up 438 yards, I believe. Uh, you know what frustrated me, Teddy, was this was Kentucky driving the ball on their second last drive. And setting up for a field goal to try to win instead of punching it into the end zone. It was clear they were trying to run the clock and play for the field goal. That frustrates the heck out of me. What happens? The kicker missed the field goal, leaving it open. So uh, I, I really get bothered when coaches don't go for a touchdown win and with a couple minutes on the clock, try to go for a field goal win. Yeah, I'm with you, especially in the college ranks. The NFL, they make the kicks, mostly, except for Vinatieri. <laughs> but in college, it's dicey. It doesn't, mean, doesn't matter if you're Alabama. The kicking game, not 
as consistent as in the NFL when the college coaches say, all right, yeah, yeah, we're just going to burn clock and settle for the 40-yarder. Well, it burned Wildcats backers who bet them early. If you bet them late, you still got the win or at worst, the push. You didn't get a push if you laid with Alabama, and it was a really tough beat. The Crimson Tide again dominate the game, but the point spreads have caught up. No question. Bama back-to-back weeks failed to cover by this much. South Carolina's last-second touchdown gets them in under the number. I was on Bama. I can't remember the last time I was on Bama laying three-plus touchdowns. I was, you know, I was playing Bama because of their defense with a new quarterback starting for South Carolina. And listen, you could say Bama controlled the game, but they only finished with a 571, 459-yard edge. If you're laying 25 or 25 and a half points and you only finished the game with a 112-yard edge, yeah, I can say I should have won that game but didn't. But in the long run, as far as the box score shows, I shouldn't have been covering that game. All that being said, I mean, one of the things I look for is teams that don't dominate the yardage stats necessarily but are capable of making and scoring the big play touchdowns, the non-offensive touchdowns like Alabama. When you find those teams that aren't named Alabama that can do that sort of thing, they tend to be significant moneymakers in a college football legit middle in the USC BYU game that total landed what 57 with what they finished with opened 55 and a half closed 57 and a half if you were a good better it doesn't matter you bet the over you bet the under you cashed either way that's your book sports book nightmare <laughs> when the games land in the middle this one of course landing in the middle thanks to overtime and then another USC turnover you know, I, I don't have the database that can tell me this, but if you're an overbetter and you're sitting at 54 going to overtime, off the top of my head, I am going to say at least nine out of 10 overtimes have over three points scored. So uh, those people that did get the middle, uh, I think you're very fortunate with only a three points, three points total scored in OT. Yeah, no doubt about that. So. Coaches get ripped every Saturday. Coaches get ripped every Sunday. Heck, coaches get ripped every Monday. It's what we do. I try not to do that too much because it's easy pickings. But this one, I mean, when we saw it happening live, you're like, what's he thinking? And then after the game, when you saw the coach's quotes, he's like, you're, you're like, yeah, what's he thinking? Pitt struggles with the ball all day against Penn State. They get down to the goal line. They get stuffed three straight times, fourth down, fourth and goal. I believe it was from the one. Might have been from the two. Maybe it was a three. It doesn't matter. They're down seven. There's five minutes left in the game. The offense hasn't worked all day. And Narduzzi kicks the field goal for Pitt, and it misses. And then after the game, he's like, well, we needed to score twice to win. Not in regulation, you didn't. Uh, explain this one, because I sure can't. Pitt gets the money, game stays under but a coaching decision that is an absolute head-scratcher for this better. Teddy, I've only, I only used seven games last week, and it sounds like we're talking about every one of my games. Uh, I had the under in this game, and in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you have to go for it. It's going to be 17, 17, 34. Oh, my gosh, one more touchdown each. You know, they could go to overtime. I have no idea what he was thinking. I think it was from the three or four, though. I, I was watching that game, and and – uh, me saying I wish he would kick a field goal was sort of a joke 
Uh, I have no idea what he was thinking. I think he just had a brain fart and didn't want to admit that he made a clear mistake because you have to go for it. I mean, they had they had not been in the red zone at all. It was a situation that they, had, they were moving between the 20s. If you look at their yardage, they had oh, close to 400 yards, but they were never challenging the score. So uh, I just think it was a coach completely just blew a call and just didn't know how to face the media afterwards. And when it comes to the, if you miss the touchdown, you still have the other team backed up inside their five-yard line, yeah. which is a good scenario for getting the ball back and getting another shot uh, in the red zone. Baffling decision for me and betters who had pit were not too displeased. Oklahoma State, you want to talk a bad beat? This was a tough one. Tulsa was leading this game at one point. Okie State led 17-0 early. Tulsa rallied back, led 21-20. And then Okie State's just trying to run out the clock. The back gets around the corner. Boom, he's in the end zone. Oklahoma State gets the money. Tulsa backers in tears. Yeah, again, Tulsa was up 21-20 at halftime. Oklahoma State's touchdowns, 27 yards, a 90-yard pass, and then, like you said, a 33-yard run trying to run out the clock. And, uh, you know, more than not, usually it's it's those third or fourth and shorts when a guy busts right through the middle and scores those long touchdowns. You don't see him around the end as often. But, again, Cowboys backers got the money. All right. Uh, so the books had a couple of really bad results on Saturday. We got just under a minute to talk about them. UCF blowing out Stanford. That was a bad result. Oklahoma blowing out UCLA. Bookmakers got burned on that one. And Ohio State dominates Indiana. Three big blowouts, three bad results for the house. Yeah, you have Blue Bloods, the big favorites. You know, Ohio State, we talked about being on the road with the defense. Boy, UCF, this they had this game circled. It was so obvious if you tuned it in. The fans were ready. They were ready to play. And Oklahoma is just Oklahoma, and UCLA is just really bad with Chip Kelly. Yeah, Bruins, going to be hard to find people supporting them in the weeks to come. We'll be right back here on Wager. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. Game breakdown here on Wager Talk. Ralph and I are going to get into it, breaking down the biggest marquee matchups. And we'll start with some weeknight football. Look at the Thursday night NFL game, because heck, that's the next NFL game up, Ralph, and that's what people want to hear. Titans and the Jaguars. Tennessee, minus one total of 40 in Jacksonville on Thursday night. We saw the road team win straight up. As a divisional underdog last week, now we have the opportunity, perhaps, to see the road favorite come through. But the long-term history of these Thursday night games is beware the road team. Although not quite as strong early in the season as it is later, Titans 
Jaguars. We've seen no move based on the Jalen Ramsey trade demand. People expect he's going to play. People don't think that is a factor in the Thursday night game. Can Tennessee get ready? Can they do better than the one of 10 on third downs? I know of one on fourth downs that they uh, put uh, had last week in the home loss to Indy. Marcus Mariota didn't answer a whole lot of questions positively in that ballgame. You know, uh, I, I'm going to just go back to the simplest handicapping tool, you know, uh, since modern era started, uh, a defensive home dog. And, uh, I, you know, Gardner Minshew did enough for me last week to go to Houston. That impressed me. You look at Tennessee, and yeah, they scored 43 at Cleveland. You won't find a more misleading 43 points uh, being plus three turnovers and the Browns having had those 18 penalties. I mean, yeah, they had 21 first downs. I I'm going to say at least six or seven of those first downs were on penalties. And then last week against Indianapolis at home, yeah, you put up 242 yards. I don't see how this Tennessee team is going to go on the road and score enough. I, I, you know, first one to 17 wins the game. So under certainly the way uh, that uh, appears to have your interest in that one. See, and I'm looking at it a little differently. You know, Gardner uh, Minshew, the box score says he was fine in both games. Gardner Minshew's not a good NFL quarterback, okay? He's not Marcus Mariota good, even. And we've seen a lot of dink and dunk. We saw an offense that didn't get, well, they had six points until the final minute, uh, or a couple of minutes uh, last week, or the final minute uh, against the Texans. Uh, like they're marching the ball up and down the field in that game. Tennessee's strength is in the trenches, defensively and offensively. They have a good offensive line and a good defensive line. I think that has the potential to give Minshew and the Jaguars all kinds of problems. And again, pick them game, fourth quarter. Who do I want, the veteran or the rookie? I'll take the vet. I think the Titans are favored on Thursday night for a reason. It'd be Tennessee or pass for me. You want to counterpoint that, Ralph? Or should I just go on to the next game? No, you know, again, I, I don't have a strong enough feeling on that to counterpoint. Uh, you know, people are getting two different versions of how to look at the same game, and that's what this show is all about. I mean, you know, any handicapper has to be able to give you five reasons why to pick one team and five reasons why to pick the other. What we do as handicappers is we list all the positives, we list the negatives, we look at how many are different, how many are to our favor, how many are against us, and we make a determination if the game's strong enough. Sure, and a lot of times, for me, it's going to come down to one key point. I'm going to make a list of reasons, absolutely, mentally, a lot of times. But the, what's the one key issue in this ballgame? For me, the key issue is I do not trust Gardner Minshew, mustache or not. He wasn't that good. The box score numbers are saying, oh, he's fine. The eye test is saying he's a rookie quarterback against a good defense. That's why I look at, at Tennessee on Thursday night. We have TV football as well. Tulane against Houston and the Green Wave have been a very popular choice in the betting markets here in Vegas in early action this week. Tulane minus five, total of 57 against the Houston Cougars. This is a Friday night marquee matchup. Yeah, I would say if, you know, this wasn't one of the game of the year lines that a lot of places put out for us, but uh you know, had it been, I, I would think Houston probably would have been about a four-point favorite at the start of the year. And when I look at this Houston team now, 
with King under center, it reminds me so much of Arizona and Khalil Tate. King's a dynamic runner. They have not let King run. King has been sacked nine times this year. That is not what you expect from the mobile quarterback. He's sitting back there trying to throw. 13 of 24 last week. Heck, even against Prairie View, he was only 16 of 27. So is King injured? I mean, you can't take a mobile quarterback and try to turn him into a pocket passer and have success. Uh, I'm excited about the Tulane's offense. Uh, McMillan's playing well. The LSU transfer. They, you know, they put up 550 yards on FIU and Missouri State. Yeah, they got shut down against Auburn at Auburn, but, you know, 128 of 130 teams are going to get shut down in that spot. But I just can't lay this much where my preseason lines, it's almost an eight-point swing for my preseason lines. Yes, Tulane is better. Yes, Houston's down. But, you know, I talked about it before. You have to learn how to win and then how to learn how to win and cover. And I'm not sure Tulane's to that step yet. So the betting markets start to focus on statistics. About this time of the year in college football, Houston's run defense is allowed six yards per carry. That is something that the markets are going to pay a lot of attention to against Willie Fritz's squad, who's going to run the football 40 or 50 times in this ballgame. Worth noting, though, last year, same two teams, different field, but the same two teams, and it was not close. 48 to 17 Cougs in that ballgame. And McMillan, who you liked, well, he was just 10 of 20 with two INTs in that contest. By the way, I lied. This I called it Friday. This is a Thursday night TV game. The Friday night, or one of the Friday night TV games, is the next one we're going to talk about. Utah, minus four, 53 and a half against USC. Keaton Slovis looked great in the opener and actually looked pretty good at BYU last week, except for the mistakes. Three interceptions really cost USC in that ballgame. It cost them the game. But now they can lose by a field goal and still cover because Utah, not just laying a little bit, they're laying more than three. In a game where Kyle Whittingham would be very happy to win by three, and in a venue, I believe Whittingham has won at every other venue except at USC's Memorial Coliseum in the Pac-12 since he joined the conference. This is the one stadium where Utah hasn't won at all in the Whittingham era. Well, you know, let's compare. I mean, we have a common opponent here. Uh, The difference in the game, USC went to BYU, had a 22-21 first down edge, had a 452-430 yard edge, but the turnovers, as you said, cost them the game. When Utah went to BYU, they had a 21 they had 21 first downs 362 yards and they benefited from two pick sixes so you look at those and both teams had very similar performances i'm going to back usc here i like slovis uh you know, I didn't know anything about him, to be honest with you. He he was in the chase to with JT Daniels and with Sears, who transferred out. But this is a kid who was a, a nobody transfer because he played at a very nondescript high school his first few years. Went to Kurt Warner's high school his senior year. Kurt Warner back a quarterback guru. Warner said he's one of the best quarterbacks he's seen. Now back at home against these receivers. Yeah, Utah's defense is great on the D-line. I think USC's new offense under Graham Harrell, 
the goal is to get the ball off quick. And those three receivers who may all be playing in the NFL, I think can get it done and get the ball away before Utah gets the pass rush. Uh, Slovis was the fourth stringer going into camp in the fall. The only reason he got there was injury, transfer, injury to the three guys ahead of him. And lo and behold, but you're right. He's only a three-star recruit, but from all indications, he's a lot better than a three-star recruit. It's not like the high school recruiting uh, is is so accurate that you can't ever see a three-star recruit going to turn into a star QB at USC. All that being said, last year this was a non-competitive game. Utah USC got a, up to a 14-0 lead, and then it was 34 straight for Utah. They dominated in the trenches, and I wouldn't be surprised if that happens again this time around. If I'm playing, Ralph, I'm laying, so you and I will be head-to-head on this one as well. Another matchup for Friday night, Louisiana Tech minus nine and a half, total 51 and a half against Florida International and FIU. They haven't been good and they haven't been covering numbers early on, but Skip Holtz's squad, just three and 10 against the number, their last 13 tries at home since 2017. This is not a particularly strong home field, even though Ruston, not an easy place to get to. Well, here is definitely one that the quarterback injury is a huge factor. My power ratings have this game five points closer. The issue is this. James Morgan, who played the opener against Tulane, went out after completing 3-11 against Western Kentucky. He missed the New Hampshire game. If Morgan is healthy and ready to go, I like FIU. If Morgan is not there, there's no way I can back this FIU team. They are very pedestrian with uh, with Wiggins in there, a quarterback. Wiggins, a completely type different quarterback. He's a run-first quarterback who doesn't have the arm to, to move this team down and complete anything down the field and stretch the field. So Morgan healthy, I like FIU. Let's try to sneak one more in before the break. The mar- another marquee match for Friday night, Boise, minus eight, total of 55 against Air Force. Air Force has been a real good dog under Calhoun. Boise's been a terrible home favorite, but the Broncos have had a little problem with the Falcons in the last two years. Their pass game has been too much for Air Force to handle. It has. If you watched, uh, if you watched the game, though, Boise actually uh, benched their freshman quarterback in the third quarter just to get him out and let him look at some reps. You know, I, I bet... I bet Air Force to win this division. So I'm going to take my uh, upset pick, and I'll be rooting for Air Force. I won't be betting on him this game. Frank says take the Frank. Ralph says take the Falcons. Who's Frank? We'll be right back here on Wager Talk. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Be sure to follow Ralph on Twitter at CalSportsLV. Be sure to follow me on Twitter, myself, at Teddy underscore covers. Be sure to follow SportsGrid on Twitter at SportsGrid. you get live uh, links to all the shows as they're going on. And, of course, download that SportsGrid app. 
from your uh, mobile phone or whatever you want to do it. And that way you'll have access to all the programming on demand at SportsGrid. And follow, download that SportsGrid app. So we decided to do something unique today that we haven't done before. And that's go through power rankings. But before we do that, before we list the NFL teams 1-32, to how Vegas sees them, not how the mainstream media sees them, what the real numbers actually look like. But before we do that, Ralph, we have to talk about how this week is legitimately unique in the NFL because for the first time since there were strike breakers in 1987, we have not one, but two 20-plus point favorites. How rare is it and why is it so rare, Ralph? Well, my database goes back to 1989. And since that, that's 30 football seasons in the NFL, there have only been four times a team has been a favorite of three touchdowns, 21 points or more. Those four times, the 1993 San Francisco 49ers, George Seifert was the head coach, Steve Young was the quarterback. They were laying 23 and a half points to Cincinnati. Then the New England Patriots, that magical 2007 season, the three other times were New England against Philadelphia, against the Jets, and against Miami. They laid 21 or more points all three times. Well, guess what, folks? All four of those favorites lost against the spread. So NFL home favorites in the last 30 years of 21 or more points are 0-4 against the spread. We, of course, have two this week with the Dallas Cowboys and the New England Patriots, but we've talked about it how many times. The Dolphins are just going to be a historically bad team this year, so who knows what these numbers will be. New England plays Miami Week 17. If they were probably playing in Week 15 or 16, we may see a thir- we may have seen a 30-point spread. <laughs> hey, I wouldn't. I mean, the, the numbers can get pretty high when we're talking about the Patriots right now being power rated as high or higher than any team in the NFL. Since the undefeated Patriots more than a decade ago, and this current version of the Dolphins, I have them power rated right now below where I had the 0-16 Lions power rated for much of the season when Detroit became the only team, or the first team, before Cleveland did it later, to lose every single ballgame. So you have the teams at the top. The one team at the top is much higher. The one team at the bottom much lower than historical norms. But the 30 teams in the middle means that, I mean, the Jets is 22.5-point dogs. Dallas laying 21.5. Those two teams don't belong in this mix. And it's surely worth noting that the Dolphins were only 18.5 at the close last week. They don't fall into the 20 or 21-point criteria for the database, which is one road favorite that did cover a pretty big number a week ago. Of course, New England at home this week. And let's start at the top with the power rings. My number one team in the NFL is not close. I got the Patriots, I think, three and a half or four points higher than anybody else. Would you agree or disagree with that assessment, Ralph? Uh, I don't have a problem with the Patriots being number one. I talked about the Bill Belichick defense, him calling his own plays. I think he's taking them to another level. You add A.B. to the mix. Uh, clearly, we agree with number one. You know, you know, Teddy, let's do this. Let's let's group these in groups of four. We know New England's one. And I think there's a pretty clear break. You know, I'm going to list New England. I know you have Kansas City, two, 
The Rams three and Dallas four. I think Dallas is the best team in the NFC right now. So uh, clearly those these are your power rankings and those are the top four, correct? New England, KC, the Raiders, and Dallas. Comments on those? The Rams, not the Raiders. The Rams, Raiders are not, excuse me, the Raiders. Uh, yeah, not OAK. Uh, but to me, the most interesting thing about the whole, t- the very top is that it's one team is at the top. The Patriots are more than a field goal better than Kansas City or the Rams or Dallas. New England would be road favorites at any of those teams, according to my numbers. I have the Patriots lapping the field right now. And the question that I have for you is, is that legit or am I just overvaluing New England because they've beaten up uh, you know, a couple of weaklings the first two weeks of the season? Um, yeah, I, I think it'd be close. I think I would make the Patriots two, two at Kansas City. If it was a full field goal with Mahomes, you know, I might take them for the backdoor possibility. But I, I don't think there's much argument there that the Patriots are the best team. Now, yeah, you know, when it comes to KC and the Rams and Dallas, uh, I got them two, three, four. And Dallas, you know, we'll see about the Cowboys. You know, again, when you beat two Patsies to open the season, doesn't make you good. You know, you'll see where I have Baltimore ranked on this list. They'll come in the next group. No, in the group after no, in the group after that. Just because the Ravens beat a couple of Patsies doesn't make them good. We'll talk about that uh, coming up. Well, groups teams five through eight in your power rankings: three NFC teams, one AFC team. We're starting with Philadelphia off the loss. Minnesota, who we know has the strongest home edge, at least against the spread in football. The Green Bay Packers, who defense thinks is now legit, and the L.A. Chargers, who look, again, a little lethargic to start the year. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about this second tier of teams, I don't care. I don't care one iota about one. I don't even know. In a month, I won't even know most of these teams win loss record. I don't know what they did against the spread, but straight up, I really won't know. What you see in the mainstream groupings is always they rank all the 2-0 and teams, then all the 1-1 and teams, and then all the 0-2 teams. That's not the way it works. Not the way it works in Vegas just because Philadelphia lost or Minnesota lost. And note, I still have the Vikings ranked ahead of the Packers, even though they lost and failed to cover that game. If you watch the game, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Minnesota was the better of these two teams, uh, though Cousins made a few too many mistakes. Uh, Green Bay, after those initial First three touchdown drives did absolutely nothing for the entirety of the rest of the game, which is kind of like what happened in week one. So even though the Packers are 2-0, and I still have the Vikings ranked ahead of them. And yeah, the Chargers haven't lived up to expectations perhaps in September. But most of that has to do with the fact that they turned the ball over twice, literally in the end zone. It's cost them two touchdowns. Those two touchdowns are the difference between winning and covering each of the first two weeks and not covering. And when you turn the ball away, fumble at the one, sometimes that happens. Maybe it happens more to the Chargers than most teams, but I'm not going to downgrade the Chargers significantly off that loss in Detroit. You know, the next group is led by a surprise team, but our viewers shouldn't be surprised. We talked about this team in the look-ahead lines last week in the NFL. Uh, They're getting their first Sunday night appearance at home. That, of course, the Cleveland Browns. You have the Browns followed by the Bears, Houston, and Seattle, who you talked about, uh, you take Seattle and Russell Wilson on the road and give them some points. They're a team you're going to be backing very often. Yeah, this is 9, 10, 11, and 12. So we're still in the top half of NFL teams. We're not talking about the elite ones anymore. Now we're talking about the good teams. Cleveland, again, last night the offense stunk. Baker Mayfield wasn't good, and they won by 20 on the road. 
That defense is legit. Miles Garrett leads the NFL in sacks. Again, I said it before. I'll say it again. And last night's mediocrity didn't change my opinion. I am a Browns believer. The Bears defense is, I mean, <laughs> that's a scary looking defense. Uh, and Chicago's an interesting story as to where, how long they're going to stay, where they're going to be as the season progresses. Trubisky's done nothing to impress me through two games, but a defense is good enough to keep you in the top 10 in the NFL. Texans and Seahawks, two teams that are clearly flawed, but two teams that have quarterbacks that are making plays all over the place. Two teams that have a defense that I like slightly above average in the NFL. Let me ask you a question about Houston. I mean, J.J. Watt seems to be down a few notches. Uh, do you think it's just a slow start? Or do you think he's getting more double teams now without Clowney on the opposite side? Of course he is, you know. But <laughs> without Clowney on the one side, Watt's going to get a lot more attention. And he has. And he's not been a huge factor early on. And we've seen some vulnerability, at least a little bit, from this Texans defense. All that being said... They'd allow six points with a minute left in the game last week. It's not like uh, – and they shut down Drew Brees for a half, which was impressive, even though the second half they got let up. We've seen some good things from the Texans defense, despite Watt's lack of early season dominance. Teddy, moving to teams 13 through 16. These are teams that are, are going to be in the playoff hunt going down the stretch as far as your power rankings are concerned. Baltimore, Atlanta, Tennessee, and San Francisco. I mean, the way Baltimore and San Fran have looked the first couple weeks, uh, uh, surprised you don't have them higher? Or again, you're looking at the big picture. So what you're going to see in mainstream stuff is everyone overreacts. San Fran's 2-0. Oh, my God, they're great. Baltimore's 2-0. They've killed everyone. Oh, they're great. The Ravens beat the two worst teams in the NFL, and the 49ers beat a couple teams that are equally bad, or close, and maybe not equally bad, uh, but two teams that aren't very good. So, yeah, we give them credit for the 2-0. We don't go nuts with the power rating adjustments for these teams. They're both slightly above average right now, right there with Atlanta and Tennessee. The next group is 17 through 20. Uh, one of my favorite defenses, the Buffalo Bills. Indianapolis now without luck. New Orleans now without Breeze. Carolina now without uh, Cam. That may only be a game or two. Talk to us about numbers 17 through 20 in the Teddy Covers NFL Power Rankings. Yeah, Cam's not officially out. That's not a done deal. The game's off the board right now. We don't know if Cam's going to play. And I did not adjust my power ring number based on him being out. That will only happen if he's actually out. And then we'll adjust from there. So it's worth noting that Carolina is a Newton in power ring number. First, New Orleans at 17, obviously. Or I'm sorry, at uh, 19, obviously, we're talking about uh, a team that is Breeze out. And for everyone's like, Bridgewater will be fine. Bridgewater will be fine. Bridgewater is a backup quarterback who didn't look good in the preseason at times and has never led a team to anything. So he's no Drew Brees. There's a significant drop-off there of four New Orleans. Buffalo and Indy, two teams that look real good defensively early on. I got high hopes for those squads moving forward. Moving to teams 21 through 24, uh, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Oakland, and Tampa Bay. My question is this. Where was Pittsburgh before Big Ben was out? Uh, Pittsburgh, I believe, was in like eighth, somewhere in that range. There, maybe maybe ninth. Uh, significant drop. Uh, you know, I made a five-point adjustment from uh, uh, from Big Ben uh, to Mason Rudolph. 
Mason Rudolph can play. He can chuck the football around. As a freshman, this kid went into Norman and led the Cowboys to an outright upset win as double-digit dogs against the Sooners. He's a capable backup, and I wouldn't be surprised if the my adjustment for Pittsburgh is too far down. They'll be better than the markets expect with Rudolph behind center. Well, teams 25 through 28, we're getting to those aging veteran teams, Denver, Cincinnati, Jacksonville, and the New York Giants. Yeah, and when you see the Jags here, you know, are ranked, what, uh, uh, number 27 in my numbers, you understand why I'm only looking at the Tennessee tide on, uh, side on Thursday night football. Jacksonville's mediocre on a good day. Now they have a backup, a rookie backup quarterback with decent numbers. I'm not convinced he's any good. I'm not a Gardner Minshew supporter at this stage. And the Giants, huh? they're not the worst team in the NFL. There's four teams worse than the Giants right now. Washington is number 29, Arizona 30, Jets 31. Miami would be, what, about 39? Yeah, yeah. and again, like, like the Patriots, well ahead of the rest of the league, I've got Miami way below the rest of the NFL. I've got them a field goal worse than the Jets. Arizona showing signs. The Redskins, not so much. Not even a little bit. Uh, so, interesting discussion when we talk about these power ratings, Ralph. To go through them team by team, tier by tier, to understand my thought process as I'm setting my line for next week's game. We'll be right back here on from the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. So here's the question I get asked all the time. I say, hey, can you watch a game? Hey, can we watch a game with you? Hey, what are you looking at when you're watching a game? What do pros look at differently compared to Joe's focused on a football game? This, I think, an interesting topic of discussion. What's your take, Ralph? What do pros see that the Joes don't always see? Well, the thing to remember is this. I mean, you're watching a game twofold. You're watching the game to find value live betting, and then you're watching a game to make adjustments on your power ratings and looking how teams match up. You may have one team that's a three-point favorite over another, but because this team plays as a better D-line and can get more pressure, you may adjust what you would make that line and not use your power rating number. Teddy, why don't you tell us? I mean, you've been in this business so long. You break down games so well. Tell us. How a Joe becomes a pro when they're watching an NFL game and what specifically they should be looking for to find edges moving forward. It doesn't matter, NFL or college. Uh, uh, I'm looking at the same concepts in both. And the number one thing I'm looking at is the line of scrimmage. Who is controlling the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football? The elite offensive line stay elite from week to week. Same story on the defensive line. And the teams that dominate the trenches, I spend very little time looking at the skill position talent. That's not where my focus is. I'm focused on the big uglies. And the teams with the good big uglies tend to be undervalued. The teams with the bad big uglies tend to be overvalued. I'm looking for quarterbacks. And at the quarterback, it's not does he throw a great deep ball. What's his arm strength? 
is can he go through his progressions and find the third receiver and make an accurate pass to that guy or the fourth option and make an accurate pass to that guy. So I'm always looking at the QB and their ability to get off their first look and spread the ball around. Last but not least, I need a secondary that's going to cover somebody. And that's something, you know, is the pass rush there? Is the secondary capable of guarding uh, quality receivers? And when you see these things, offensive line play, defensive line play, run blocking, pass rush, secondary, quarterback looking at third and fourth options, that's how I'm going to adjust my powering numbers based even more than I'm going to adjust on the box score numbers or every bit as much as I'll adjust on the box score numbers. Watching the eye test, that's what means the most to me. The numbers are where the markets tend to react the most to. So when you find an edge with your eye test over the numbers, that's a legit edge when it comes to sports betting. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to spend with Ralph and I. Couldn't catch the live show? Yes. Make sure to download our podcast at the FNTSY Sports Network Audio Boom channel. Oh, super.